0: Good morning. I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, the founder of the nonprofit, The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making, we keep hidden, and that, in fact, keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us to grow. And while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are in your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. I'd like to welcome you all out today. I just pushed the wrong button, I think, and I didn't want to do that. Let me do... Okay, today my guest is a dear friend of mine from several years ago. We met in California. At, at the time, it was called Changemakers. Now it is called Awakening Giants. Awakening Giants. Fabulous, fabulous opportunity that we had out in California. And I met my... Not my first friend from, from the UK, but one of my sweetest friends from the UK, and her name is Kazia Luckett. Good morning, Kazia. Good morning,
1: Debbie. It's so wonderful to be
0: here. I guess it's afternoon for you, huh?
1: It is. Well, it's lunchtime. It's, it's Lunch. lunchtime, so it's, it's yes, yeah, it's, it's moving into the afternoon period.
0: Well, I'd like to welcome you and all of our friends from the UK that I hope are going to be coming in and listening to this. Because this is a conversation that we all need to have. One about leaving our past behind us and moving forward. And I'm so excited to have you here because I want you to tell your story. And I want you to tell it because when we met in California, we were part of an extraordinary group of women. I guess there might have been one young man there (laughs) who decided to jump. And to do something just way out of character for us in many respects, I'm talking about the confidence course in one spot, but also about getting up on a stage and standing up and telling our story. And this series is all about standing up and speaking up. So I'm just going to jump right in and have you tell us why did you go to California and what, what was your purpose for being there? Why did you jump and what got you to stand up and speak up? Oh, my goodness. What a uh, brilliant question.
1: Do you know It seems like a lifetime ago that we were in California, but it also seems like it was just yesterday. Um, it was really interesting because I was literally probably a month or so into my business when I got invited to go to California. And um, we were just getting ready to relocate to Barcelona. So, you know, all the odds were kind of really stacked against me um, to go. But you know when you just get this feeling that you just have to do something? It might not necessarily make sense. You might not necessarily know how you're going to do it but you just know that you need to be there. That's what I felt like when I spoke with Sprite and she talked about what is now commonly known, Awakening Giants. And um, I remember it was literally a month before relocating to Barcelona, I jumped on an airplane and flew to San Diego to stand on stage. And And I think the reason that I did it more than anything was I knew that I had a story that needed to be told. I knew I was on a mission that needed to come out to the world. And what better way to do it than be around some phenomenal people that also were on missions to change the world for a better place.
0: Well, it's interesting that you had that feeling because so did I. I didn't know Sprite, and this is Sprite Laureano, who's one of the founders of Changemakers, um, Awakening Giants. I was actually with Trish Carr, who's one of the sisters of Women's Prosperity Network, and Trish had done something with Sprite earlier. And so she brought this opportunity up, and I'm sitting on my chair going, I need to go. I need to go. I didn't know why, like you. And all I had to do was fly to San Diego. I didn't have to fly across the pond. So (laughs) I give you great kudos for, for jumping. And what did your family think?
1: Well, I, I remember, because obviously, as you can imagine, moving abroad is, is not a cheap thing to be doing, and um, I remember saying to my husband, yeah, I'm going to do this, and he goes, oh my God, how much is it cost, <laughs> and it's like X amount, and he goes, well, you'll figure it out, and I did. Um, you know, within 24 hours, I'd raised $7,500, um, it's amazing how much your brain starts working to, to be able to bring in what it is that you need. Um, and I still think even when I got on that airplane, they thought I was absolutely mad and I'd lost the plot. Did you know, you know anybody else con- I
0: was coming across?
1: Um, I knew Sammy, Sammy Blindell, who's um, another lady, but that was it. I didn't know anybody else at all. And, um, yeah, I mean, as a bit of an introvert, uh, I'm probably an extroverted introvert in different situations. But, um, yeah, the thought of kind of, being plunged into a group of of highly successful women that are all on these phenomenal missions. You know, there was that element of, am I going to be out of my depth? Am I in the right place? How is this going to be? But every single person within that community just made the whole experience magical.
0: So when you got there, though, it was interesting. I was looking at your quiz this morning, and one of the questions is, when you walk into a room... What do you do? Do you hide? Do you stand back? Do you jump right into a conversation? When you got there to California, you know, except for Sammy, how did you feel when you walked in there? And how did you react?
1: Um, I'm one of these people that likes to just take everything in before I kind of leap in. Um, and I, I do remember there was a time in the entrance hall. Um, and I remember watching all these people and a lot of people didn't know each other. And I remember seeing Christy Whitman, who again, I, I hadn't, I hadn't met, I didn't know who she was. And she was stood off to one side and I remember going over to her and thinking, well, <laughs> there's somebody on their own, you know, I can start a conversation there, you know, and, and I did, I started a conversation with Christy um, and that, for me, it felt so much easier to be able to, you know, observe what was going on, take it all in, and then find that one person that I could start a one-to-one conversation with and then delve into the group in a, in, in a, much, wider, in a much wider way.
0: Very nice, and it's funny that Christy the one that I really haven't heard from much since then, um, yeah. because we, we we kind of got into our own little groups at that point, but I'm going to jump in uh, another jumping point, was literally when we went up to the confidence course. Yeah. Explain to me how you felt when we got up on the top of this mountain, we're overlooking the, the area, I guess we were in Los Angeles area, and we were faced with those challenges What was the greatest challenge for you? Which which of the confidence course challenges was the greatest? And how did you feel doing it? I can hear you giggling now.
1: All of them. I mean, you know, I'm not great at heights. And, you know, Debbie's talked about this confidence course. It was basically set up in the trees, these massive, massive big trees in the middle of this forest. And... Our role was to either go up a pole and make a leap or, or go up a pole and then, try, you know, uh, travel through these, you know, little sticks. I'm sure it was more than sticks, but it felt like little sticks. Um, standing at the bottom looking up, um, I knew that if I didn't go quickly, that the fear would rise up. And so I remember just going, just don't even think about this, just keep yourself in and go. And I, I got up and I started the transition across and then the legs started to shake. And, and that, that for me was the worst thing. Once I was down and I could then watch everybody else, um, it, 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 felt, it felt good. I felt like that sense of satisfaction, but it, it was just kind of, don't let your brain engage, just, just go,
0: just go. How did the group dynamic help you get through that? Because it was quite a daunting experience. I I know the one for me when I climbed up that 30-foot pole or whatever and leapt eight feet and caught a trapeze. I mean, I I felt like Tinkerbell. (laughs) It was (laughs) exhilarating for me. Scary, scary of all get out. But just exhilarating after the fact. But, what was it for you? I know it was, it was what it was for me, but what was it for you that got you to take that first step to go up the pole?
1: And I how did the girls around you make you feel? Yeah, I was going to say, it, it, was, it, was the, it was the ladies around me that really support, considering, you know, you're plunged into a group of, of people that you don't know. So, you know, it's not like this is your besties that you're going out for a trip with. These are people that you don't know. And quickly you see, I'm not going to use the word weaknesses because I don't think that they are, but you see those 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 points of vulnerability that people have. And actually, scaling up a, a you know something high, it shows those vulnerabilities really quickly. And the thing that I absolutely loved about that scenario is that everybody was there cheering people on. You can hear the voices you know, um, from the ground. Yep, just one foot. Just one, you know, just one more hand. Just a little bit further. Go on, you can do it. Knowing that you've got that support network, I think there's a couple of things that play out. Firstly, you feel totally supported. But also there's that little element of, well, now I can't let anybody down. I've just got to keep going. Um, And that whole safe container up that mountain was just gorgeous. Absolutely. I, I remember... You taking that, that 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 leap, I can see it vividly in my head, and I can see it when you came down, and the look on your face you know that's something that will stay with me forever and the same with um, um Lynn Rose, you know when she, get, she she went up there and she you know took that leap you you remember those moments
0: forever well i do i i mean I giggle every time I look at the picture, but for me. <laughs> I was so competitive with myself, saying, well, and I was probably one of the older ones at that point, and I was thinking, I can do this, I can do this, I'm competitive, I used to be an athlete, you know, or I I am an athlete, but then when I was trying to get my my last foot (laughs) up to the top of that pole, and there's nothing that I was hanging on to, I looked down, and you shouldn't be looking down at that point, because you're up so high, (laughs) but I looked down and I saw Trish Carr, and Trish looked up to me and she said, Deb, your whole movement is about standing up. Just stand up. I'm thinking, well, I can do that. I can get that muscle movement in my leg and stand up. And when I did, then i was thinking, don't look down. <laughs> just look forward. Look where you're going. You know, and that's life. Don't look back. Don't look down. Look forward and just jump. Yeah. And I closed my eyes and I jumped. Well, that's, you know, the blind leading the blind, but... Catching that pole was one of the most exhilarating times of my life, and from then on, I'm like, well, gosh, if I can do that, I can do anything. And I think everybody. Well, I remember Peggy when Peggy and Peggy and I looked like Mutt and Jeff. You know, I'm five eight. Peggy's probably, I don't know, less than four feet. Yeah. When she was putting her little arms around that pole and trying to climb herself up, I'm like, I, that was such a great experience for all of us to pull together and to encourage every little movement for her. And when she got up to the top and walked across, what a what an exciting time for all of us. And I you know what? I miss that in today's world where we just regardless of where we came from, we just support each other and cheer each other on and celebrate those little moments. Yeah. And that's yeah. fun. That's what I love about what you are doing and what you did. So can you tell everybody When you stepped on stage in San Diego, how did you feel about doing that? Because you you weren't an international speaker at the time. And what did you talk about? Why did you tell your
1: story? I'm laughing because you said I'm not an international speaker, Um, You know, I've been in a... You weren't. (laughs) You know, I presented clinical data a lot in my previous job to, you know, lots of doctors and consultants and cardiologists. But that was my first time ever being on stage representing myself. And it just makes me chuckle because that was my first, you know, entrance into being a speaker on any stage, let alone, you know, the first time being an international um, speaker. And I chose to talk about something. Um, that I'd never shared with anybody before. And um, I must admit, when I was practicing it at home, I probably um, spoke it about 40 times before I could share that without crying. Um, And it was really about my unravelling and I had postnatal depression after the birth of my second son and um, sharing with people what it felt like to go upstairs and hear this noise and suddenly realise that I was the person that was making this this noise and the kind of unravelling that happened with that. And the reason that I shared that that particular story is that we often think that our stories, those things, and I know you and I have talked about this a lot, those those things that we're really ashamed of, those things that bring up you know those so-called negative you know negative emotions, are things that should be hidden, that we should be embarrassed about. But do you know what? It's in the sharing of those stories that we can give hope and inspiration to others, whether that's men, women, children. And that was my, my desire getting up on that stage is, you know, uh, my movement was called Women of Contribution. I wanted every woman to understand that it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've been through, just by being you, you are enough. And I was hoping that that story would would, would showcase that um, in San Diego and it, it still is, is one of the most memorable bits of that whole experience for me was being on stage. And just knowing that actually I loved being on stage and it's where I'm meant to be. And yeah, it was just, just phenomenal, absolutely
0: phenomenal. Well, and that particular thing launched your Women of Contribution movement. And the book, the Pay It Forward series, notes to my younger self. And I actually have a copy of it in my hand because I, I jumped and took part in your book. And that other than my book, The Woman Behind the Smile, Um, participating in notes to my younger self, writing a chapter in that. It further confirmed to me that writing our stories out is the best thing we can do to move forward, to understand ourselves, to share with the world um, something that's important because everybody has been through something that someone else is going through and we feel alone until we know there's another person out there that's been through it. And then we're okay because now we know we have a buddy. And I just want to read the first part in your foreword about the book. We're going to talk about this series in just a minute. It says, we've all asked the question, what if? Crossroads are an inevitable part of life, each situation offering us many different paths on which to travel. Life, like, or like life, Neither is black or white, right or wrong, feminine or masculine, but a beautifully crafted multifaceted experience of contrast, allowing us to work our souls, create new paths and increase our wealth of experience. However, all too often on this so-called journey of life, we can experience those pivotal moments that can make us stop dead in our tracks, question absolutely everything and jet propel our life's trajectory in a completely different direction now you use the word pivotal moments i used the word defining moments same thing same thing what did you find in this uh, notes to my younger self volume 1 we were the first 18 women to write these stories and how was it for you putting that together and how did you bring how did you get 18 women to bear bear their souls and tell their story <laughs>
1: Um, I mean, for me, putting the the, the Pay It Forward series Notes to My Younger Self books and there's volume one, two, and three together um, was a massive honor um, uh, for for many different reasons. Firstly, 18 women in each book, or there was 19 in the first because my story was in there as well. But um, I think we ended up with 50-odd women from 15 different countries around the world. Um, the, The greatest honor for me was the fact that they trusted me to help them bring the story out. Um, But not only the writing aspect of the story, each woman that was part of that went through um, a a therapeutic process called mind conditioning therapy and expressive writing is part of that. And it helps relieve the trauma as a positive psychologist. That's my um, area of interest. Um, And so, you know, the whole process of taking them through to write their story and to release the energetic emotional connection to it so it could become a platform that they could, you know, springboard off rather than um, a weight around their ankle pulling them down was, was, like I say, a big honor because the individuals trusted me with their, their, their innermost secrets, their innermost thoughts, their innermost experiences to be able to bring to light the one that needed to be shared, that they felt comfortable sharing, and to release the the kind of emotional charge associated with it. With regards to how did I convince 50-odd women to step forward and be part of this, our mission has always been to positively impact on one billion lives worldwide, um, not only through our stories, but also the charities that we support. And the idea behind the book is once you've read it, um, you write your own little message of hope and inspiration. You put a post-it note on the front that says, this book is for you, read it, love it, pay it forward, and you leave it for a stranger to find. And the idea is that the person that needs that at that moment in time Will find it and they'll open it and they'll hear a story that they need to hear. And it, it still makes my heart sing when I get a message from somebody who goes, oh my goodness, I read that story and it changed my life. Um, and even myself, I had an experience um, coming back from speaking in London back to Barcelona and I've sat on a train with somebody and we got talking and she was flying back to um, the Far East and I kind of Talk to her about the book because I'd been there speaking about it, and she, you know I was trying to give an example, and I chose Debbie Moore, and Debbie Moore had found that her partner had been living a double life, and as I said the words, the woman burst into tears, and I said, "Oh my God, are you okay?" And she said, "That's the reason I'm here on holiday. Three weeks ago, we found out my my father had been living a double life, and he has a, a complete other family in another country." And um, I'm here trying to process it. But my mum was so embarrassed, she felt like she was the only one that had ever gone through this. And now I have a book that I can share with her. And she sent me a message
0: afterwards to say, thank you so much. This
1: has changed her mum's life.
0: Well, I'm sitting here. My mind is just going through. It's just reeling with the thought that we have, we work with so many women at the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams or Scars that have been through a relationship scam and mm. they are hiding from it they are just you know I was one of them and just so ashamed of what had happened until I realized that you know this is happening to millions of people and there's no reason to hide there's no reason to be ashamed of it we were we were taken and everybody gets taken at some point in their life yes. But until you get the story out, I found for me anyway, until I released that emotion of the story by writing it out, I wasn't able to move forward and heal myself in recovery. And so that's why, another reason why I participated in, in um, Notes to My Younger Self. And I didn't write about my scam story. I wrote about being in a, you know my home having a fire when I was a teenager. Which, that whole event... I realized through that, you know, nobody was hurt, fortunately. Um, I realized that stuff is just stuff, and you can't take it with you. The most important thing in my life were my family members. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, I think, might have led me to being able to give so much money away later on in life. I don't know. I'm one of those damn Yankees that doesn't give money away, but there's something that was in <laughs> me. And, I, and when I wrote my part of your book, in my, sto- my chapter in your book, um, I, that was clear to me that that was a pivotal point, a defining moment in my life. Um, I interviewed a lady yesterday who, in the process, I didn't know who she was, but in the process of our conversation, she said she was writing in a book now. She's participating in a book. I said, what's your, what's your chapter about? She goes, having a fire in my home as a kid. I'm like, oh. well, how cool is that? You know, I never would have known that. I mean, wow. it, I'm I'm just triphlogs here, you know, because I like until we start talking and opening up about our lives, we don't realize that we have so much in common, and yeah. that's what I love what you're doing, and and part of your story too was <clears throat> excuse me when you were a ch- a young girl, and in my story about the fire, it was those. Pretty little blondes, you know. (laughs) I as a tall, dark brunette, you know, athletic type always wished I was a skinny little blonde. Can you tell me your side of that story? As a child you were a skinny little blonde. How did that affect you? It's always funny, isn't it? You always want what you don't
1: have. I was a skinny little blonde and my teenage years were brutal and constantly being teased for being skinny. Um, And my parents moved me when I was 13 to a new area where I knew no one. And so I was not only teased for being skinny, but I was teased for having an accent. I was teased for not being from that area Um, and bullied, you know, physically, mentally bullied. And I ended up hating the way that I looked. I mean, like hating. I think it was... I think it was my daughter, eventually, um, when she was about one or two, it must have been about two when she said to me, mommy, why don't you ever wear pretty dresses and show off your legs? And it suddenly mm-hmm. dawned on me. It's just like, I, I'm, I'm almost 40, and I'm, I'm still covering up. I'm still hiding myself. And funny enough, the only place that I didn't was when I lived in the States for four years. Um, but you know, as soon as I moved back to the UK, covered myself up again because I figured that nobody wanted to see this body because it was so ugly and people had told me it was so ugly. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting how things affect you. And, and that was another reason really for setting up women of contribution is that, you know, I, I had massive distrust of women, like massive You know, not only was I bullied in the school, schoolyard, I was bullied in the workplace as well. And it took me a long time to realize that actually that's somebody else's story. I chose to buy into that story, but that was somebody else's story. And at any point in time, I had the power to step out of it, but I was just conditioned by their words. And when I did finally step out, I realized that actually... I like who I am. I like my body. I like, you know, everything about me. Um,
0: but I had to step out of that story first. And that's interesting. I'm thinking back to when we were in San Diego. We were around some very influential women, many that we didn't know until, you know, I, I start Googling who everybody was. And I'm like, wow, you know, their <laughs> bio is great. They're doing great things. But when, when we were in a group and, and at those vulnerable moments, even the strongest of us really cracked. Yeah. You know, there was some sort of emotion that came up. And in your practice of positive psychology, um, what are the things that are making us crack? You know, what's happening that we're now opening up or maybe not opening up? What are you seeing in, in today's life with the girls you're working with? Women.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's it's interesting at the moment because obviously we're we're in a we're navigating a new world that we've never navigated before, and and in each each country it's different. I mean, obviously, I work with women from around the globe, so I, I'm experiencing it in different ways. Um, I think people are being more honest with their their emotions um, and what they're feeling. And then naming it, Um, you know, as a positive psychologist, I'm I'm seeing loads and loads of magazine articles about think positively. Everything's going to, it's all well and good, but actually we have the the, the spectrum of emotions for a reason. And as far as I'm concerned, there's not bad emotions or good emotions. They're all indicators of something that's going on. So um, I think people are being a lot more honest with, the way that they're feeling at this moment in time, and also reviewing the way that they've been living their lives. Because I don't know about in-state, but I definitely know here in the UK, when we were in lockdown, people's life and the way that they lived changed. It had to change. And we've been in a in a, um, quite a masculine energy of doing constantly, rather than that beautiful balance of masculine and feminine where we both do and can be, you know, take time back for us, do
0: the things that make our hearts sing.
1: So I think there's been a massive kind of shift going on that I've be, definitely been noticing.
0: Have you noticed a difference between the women of different ages? Are the 20-somethings, 30-somethings doing things differently than those of us that are in our 50s and 60s?
1: Um, I can only talk from what I'm seeing because I don't tend to attract that many kind of, you know, millennials coming in. Um, uh, Most of my clients tend to be midlife and midlife can be anywhere from 35, kind of up to 60, 60 65, 70. Um, I think the older we get, the more confident we become in, do you know what, I don't have to live in the way that I thought I did. I don't have Mm -hmm. to act in the way that the expectations of others start to matter less. It's about how do I feel in the life that I'm living? Am I following my bliss? Am I doing those things that make my heart sing? And I think, you know, people talk about this midlife crisis. I I always view it as a midlife awakening when women wake up and they suddenly go, seriously, there has to be more to life than what I'm living right now. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, when you start to look towards the latter end of your life, um, I think this kind of awareness comes of, You know, I've done everything that society says that I should. I've ticked all the boxes. I've lived as I, you know, have been told that I should by society. And then you reach a point where you go, how do, how do I actually want to live? How do I, you know, what kind of impact do I want to leave? If, if this is the last half of my life, what do I want to put out into the world? How do I want to leave the world? Do I want to leave it a better place? Um, and I think that shifts a lot for so many women.
0: Well, and we're living a lot longer. I mean, I spent a lot, I spend a lot of time with my mother and dad. My mom will be 86 next week and my father's 91. And so midlife is now getting older and older as far of as course. I'm concerned. Uh, but the, it's it's really interesting for me to sit and talk with my dad especially and see how he thinks about life, and to hear, you know, he's very unfiltered these days. So there, there are certain things he doesn't <laughs> like, but certain things that have really been important, and as we, as we talk, we said we look at what's important, and, you know, we're talking about maybe buying a home for them, and, and one of my brothers is like, why would you buy a house for someone that's 91? I mean, because the emotions around it just light my father up, and I'm thinking, yeah. if that gives him another five years or ten years, heck, why not? You know? Yeah. So sometimes Definitely. we just have to just jump and do things that may not make sense, but make sense emotionally and, and life-wise. So last night I was watching one of your uh, Facebook videos, and you talked to you Actually, you offered this energy quiz. Can you just give everybody how they can get to that and if they want to take the, chance, the time to pull it up, because we're going to dive into your energy code now. But how do they get to the energy quiz to find out what we're talking about? Okay. Uh, The easiest thing
1: is just energycodeforwomen.com. If you go to that as a website, so www.energycodeforwomen.com. And there's no fancy kind of changing of letters or anything. It is as it says. And if you go there, you'll find eight different questions, and they're they're quick and easier. I mean, it should take all of what a minute top a minute for you to yeah, uh, like say to get your results. Um, and it's it, they're they're questions that kind of focus around how you're feeling, you know, what you would like, um, and then it gives you an answer. It gives you an answer of the four different energy states that you could potentially be in.
0: So let's kind of go into that. How did you get into the energy code or did you come up with it? And just explain it to us, to me, please. Yeah, so um,
1: the energy code is something that I created and – In actual fact, it's probably been in the making for at least 10 years. I ran a female-based concierge company back in 2010, and I had 35 women working for me. And we used to go into the homes of busy corporate women and help them juggle the work-life balance. So we'd do childcare and washing and ironing and making the evening meal, whatever they needed at that moment in time. And it, it started to get to the point where every house that I went in to check on my clients, I was starting to see the same kind of thing playing out in everybody's life, which is they had everything that they could ever dream of. They had the successful job, they had the holidays, the cars, the house, the kids in private school, all of these things. But they were coming up with depression, anxiety, uh, health problems, and a variety of others. And um, in that particular business, I, I ended up burning out. And it just made me realize that so often we work against our natural body indications, you know, those indicators in our body. And for me, I ended up in bed with pneumonia for four weeks. And then I thought, no, 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 I'm fine. I got up and I ended up back in bed for another two weeks with food poisoning. And it was at that point, I was just like, I can no longer work from six in the morning to 12 at night, Monday through to Saturday with a family whilst renovating a home and think that I'm going to get away scot free. It's not going to happen. And so the energy code has has really kind of developed over the last two years. I had a private group of women that were navigating through it, and I was using it as a peak performance tool with my clients, private clients. And if I tell you that in the, my private group of, of of ladies, when they first started working with um, understanding about their energy code. 97% of them remained in the space of nurture for almost two months. And um, uh, we can expand on what nurture is in a minute. And, and that might sound like a really nice place to be, but I can tell you that nurture is, is slightly different than what it sounds like. Um, but it made me realize that there is an epidemic across the globe of people, especially women, that are not listening to what it is it's their body needs, and they're putting themselves at the bottom of their priority list. And in many cases, they don't even figure on their priority list.
0: Well, it's interesting too. When I first heard about it, and you were talking about the masculine and the feminine, I'm thinking, ooh, that kind of. <laughs> That whole, I I guess, bringing back up you know, all all of us thinking, well, I don't want to be categorized as masculine because masculine, but masculine is the get things done and be in charge and all that. But then the feminine came across as being not in control and not doing those things. I'm like, oh, we need to expand on that because you're going to have a lot of women out there saying, hey, I'm not sitting around eating bonbons every day. (laughs) Right? I mean, you and I talked about that. We do need some quiet time, and mine actually is sitting in front of HGTV watching home renovation shows with a bag of peanut M&Ms, not every day, you know, and every now and then
1: i love I love that and it, it, the reason that i'm laughing is that um I, quite a few of my clients at the moment call me wendy Rose from billions who's the psychologist there that works with the traders to to really push them in their in in their lives and business to be the best that they can be and a lot of my private clients i'm working with individuals that are very successful in what it is that they do. Um, Many of them are kind of in that masculine energy of of doing and they do it exceptionally, exceptionally well. When I'm talking about feminine, this isn't about um, not being in control, although control does fall into this a little bit. Um, You can still be in control in your feminine energy and this is what creating an energy code is all about because most women have learned how to be in life through learning through their parents or other people around them. So if your mum or your grandma or whoever it is that you raised you was very much of a doer, i.e. they they put everybody else's needs ahead of their own, they just cracked on, they put head down, if things were going bad, they just worked harder and longer, then the chances are unless you consciously tried to do something differently. You're going to be the same. And what we've seen is we've seen generations and generations of women, especially since the 50s. You know, if you think back to the 50s where women kind of were starting to come into the workplace and um, there's a a psychologist called Daniel Levinson who, who describes it as the myth of the successful career woman. We were sold this dream of having it all, i.e. we could go in, we could compete with the guys to work up the corporate ladder, and we could still have the family and everything that goes with it. Um, But instead of having it all, we've ended up doing it all. And so, you know, a lot of people are in this pattern of doing it all. So the feminine energy side of this isn't about, I'm just going to lay back and I'm going to do absolutely nothing, although that's part of it. Um, It's about... We as women have peaks and troughs in, in in our monthly cycle, regardless of whether you still have your feminine cycle or not. You know, we have those moments where we need to take time out for us, ourselves, and rest and replenish. And we have times where we're in our creative zone of genius and we're doing stuff. The energy code is all about creating a code that works for you rather than being in the masculine energy of do, 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 doing all the time to the point of burnout. Um, overwhelm, exhaustion. You start to understand when to pull back and when to pull, push forward. And when that happens, that's when you create your own energy code that works for you. And that's when you start to live from an intentional and conscious perspective, rather than every day being Groundhog Day and you wondering why things don't change.
0: Well, that's perfect. And, and I was—we were talking earlier. I really feel as i 've gotten older, I can find that balance a lot more because'm i 'm not in the you know f- fix it mode or the do it mode or you know the mom mode constantly because i 'm an empty nester for the most part, and I can concentrate on the things that I want to my husband, my home, my business my my mission, the woman behind the smile, those kinds of things. But if I want some time off, if I feel for me, the overwhelm is like i can 't focus enough. Yeah. on certain things, yeah. I need that quiet time. I need to take an hour for, you know, a show or a power nap or something, sitting out in the sun, reading a book, listening to a book. We need to find those times in our lives just to take a pause, yes, right? you do. And it's, it's interesting because um, one of the things that's coming up a
1: lot for the, the, the women that I'm speaking with at the moment is brain fog. You know, I've got so much brain fog, I, I can't concentrate. And that's, that's because you're in your head. So if we look at the four different um, spaces that you will navigate through naturally, you have two that are very internal focused, which is nurture and whisper, and then two that are external focused, which is create and shine. And create and shine tend to be the masculine energy of doing, where whisper and nurture tend to be the feminine energy of kind of, you know, being and receiving. And actually going through that cycle, there will be times where, you're out there you know doing stuff but if you become too much in your head you know it it starts to have an effect on your body you know and and this is where the brain fog comes in people are too much in their head and they haven't learned to take the time out to reconnect back into their body to give themselves space you know the best ideas don't come from sitting in front of your computer or working longer and harder the best ideas normally come from doing something, you know, quite mundane, whether it's walking or being in nature or having a shower or any of those things. So it's really just utilizing the power of our natural cycles.
0: Yeah, for me, it's doing laps in a swimming pool. Or yeah, when, I'm, when, I'm in my water, when I'm in my water aerobics class with the ladies that are, 80, you know, 85 years old, I look around and I'm thinking, you know what, I want to be like them when I'm their age. And then my mind starts to go, what can I do? What can I do to make life in my life a little bit better? Um, But during, we're going to transition a little bit. During this pandemic, and everybody is in, especially in the UK, you guys have locked down pretty well. uh, I got a call last week, two weeks ago, from the BBC. And they wanted me, they wanted to do an interview with me because they have found that during this time of isolation, the rise of the uh, romance scams and internet scams have been on the rise a lot. And they wanted to know what they could do to slow it down or to recognize it. Have you found in your women's group that there are people that are spending so much more time on, online and being busy online that they are being taken advantage of? Have you heard of any of those that. stories lately?
1: It's funny, I haven't necessarily heard of those stories. And, 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 you know, as you've talked about so beautifully in the past before, it's only when we open up those conversations that people tend to come forward. But I'm definitely, definitely seeing more and more people of a variety of different ages on the Internet so much more. You know, I was speaking to my dad, who's 79 uh, last week. And he was saying that um, some friends of his have started to teach bridge classes online. So, you know, these kind of 80-year-olds are all jumping online to be able to learn to play bridge and, you know, transfer from being in close contact to doing it socially distanced via online. And I think for so many people, their lives have moved online, you know, Zoom, um uh, shopping, Facebook groups, all of these things, and so many people are on their own. And when you're on your own, you often look for external stuff to fill a need. And you imagine some of these people are sitting on their on their own for weeks on end. So it um, doesn't surprise me that that has increased because, with the best will in the world, you know, and also if our our own personal resilience and and, um, you know, motivation is dropping, then people are going to be very vulnerable to be hit at that moment in time.
0: We're looking for connection. We're looking for friends. (laughs) And we forget that we're looking at a picture online and we have no idea who's behind that picture. No. And I can
1: honestly say that I've been inundated over this time period with people uh, men contacting me on instagram mm-hmm. and you you can see them a mile away because the the first word is hello or hi
2: and then mm-hmm. they leave
1: it and then if you don't answer then they will do something else and then they'll start in with the kind of you know hey beautiful or something like that and if if you're somebody that is not aware of this and obviously i am because of friends with you um Uh, and you're lonely and you're looking for that connection and somebody says, hey, beautiful, I've seen your pictures and you're gorgeous, all of a sudden your emotions are going through the roof, now you want more of that. That's Mm -hmm. like dangling a suite in front of a kid and saying, there you go. And, you know, I'm not saying that people are stupid, but actually in those moments where there's nothing else going on and you crave that connection,
0: I'm not surprised at all yeah and stupid's not a word girls it's not in our language because no. everybody everybody feels joy when someone wants to connect with them and be careful I'm you know looking at seeing now is that a lot of our women's groups are being infiltrated <laughs> by these guys yeah. and they'll find one friend that they can connect with and now they're mutual friends and then they're sending a request to you and you say oh wow they they're friends with them they must be you know okay to be a friend with me Just beware and be aware. And I'm going to segue real quick into Dr. Tim McGinnis. Tim is the founder of the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams or SCARS. And Tim, welcome. Can you address this, Tim, on what's happening in the UK? And I haven't really gotten it out there much, but how can people that have been, you know, a a victim in the UK, where can they go to? What's their next step?
2: Well, the U.K. is a little bit of a special case because the U.K. is so connected with Western Africa, Ghana, uh, Nigeria, etc., that scammers have actually set up shop in the U.K., and it's a constant ongoing problem. So the scammers that are working the U.K. are different than they are in Europe and and the United States because they're not only doing it online, but they're doing it in, 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 in person. So the UK has a special problem from scammers showing up to on the door, calling on the phone, sending texts, every conceivable model is at play in the United Kingdom. Um, there are a couple of non, uh, good nonprofits in the United Kingdom. Uh, we are a global nonprofit that's based in the United States um, at againstscams.org. Uh, but if you're looking for local support, there are a couple of hotlines uh, my recommendation is, is that if you encounter a scam, the place to go immediately is action fraud, uh, which is the the UK, uh, London, or Metropolitan Police's uh, cyber crime uh, avoidance enforcement agencies. So just look up action fraud online, either their website or social media. And that will guide you through that process. You can always report scammers on the SCARS global portal, which is anyscam.com to report scams anywhere in the world. Um, And then we'll forward that information along. But when you're talking about people in isolation in general, there's a lot of things that are going on. And and, uh, I was going to ask, you know, it seems that as we are in isolation, we're beginning to lose our regular day and night cycles to a certain extent, because we lack the the rigidity of our daily schedules. You get up, you get showered, you have breakfast, you, you make your commute, you go into the office, then you go to lunch, then you work in the afternoon, then you come home, and, and you do what you do, and For five days a week, you have a very regularized schedule, but now with everybody in isolation, you don't have that. You sort of roll out of bed and you sit in front of the computer in what you were wearing to sleep in. Maybe you get a shower by noon, maybe not. You eat when when you're feeling peckish or hungry, but there's no defined schedule. As a result, this is screwing with people's sleep cycles, and one of the great issues in being able to defend yourself intellectually, online especially, is what you talked about, which was the brain fog. I find that when my sleep cycle gets completely out of whack, I spend more time in a fog, difficult focusing, etc. And when I force myself back into at least a seven or eight hour a day sleep cycle, I'm sharp again. And this has always been the case for me, even though i I have no defined sleep cycle um, but as a result, people's mental acuity is is much diminished, and it means that they are so vulnerable to their emotions and the sort of psychological foundations that make us vulnerable to begin with, things like stranger trust and confirmation bias and the other things and then once a scammer gets in and they're subjecting the victim to the hardcore manipulation uh, amygdala hijacks and then gaslighting etc it becomes profoundly difficult if we're isolated at home and the vulnerability goes off the chart Uh, but definitely in the UK The per capita scam rates are almost double what they are here in the United States. Part of that is our natural skepticism when dealing with people in person, phone scams, etc. Part of it is just the distances and the impracticality of uh, regional, local scams. But the truth is, there are scams everywhere. Uh, We're all scammed every single day. We listen to an advertisement that is manipulative. That's a scam in, in the purest sense. Um, the amount of political nonsense that's going on. Some of it is outright lies. Some of it is is clear deception and fraud. Uh, practiced more by by some groups than others. But scam is a natural part of the environment. Just as 100,000 years ago, walking through the savannah... Of Africa, we would have to be on our guard every second or be eaten by the lions or hyenas. So, sadly, we're in a new world, a new ecosystem surrounded by predators every second of every day. And unfortunately, people are just going to have to adapt to it. In a weird twist, it is the millennials that seem to be the least prepared for it, even though they believe that they're absolutely on top of everything online. The reality is their rates of being scammed are higher than senior citizens. Part well, of it is the absolute denial that they live in.
0: That's a topic for a whole other show. That That's very interesting. And um, So Tim, thanks. I'm going to have to, to uh, move on from now because we're coming to the end of, of the course. hour. Of This hour goes by so quickly, and Kazia, thank you so much for being with us. I want you to be able to tell everybody how to get in touch with you because this energy code is really fascinating to me, and the work that you do as a positive psychologist, it doesn't matter that you're in the UK. I find it lovely that you are uh, because we're a global community, and we can do things online. So how can folks get a hold of you? The easiest
1: place is probably Facebook or Instagram and it's Kazia Luckett um, or alternatively on my website KaziaLuckett.com which is dot tcom
0: do you have any uh, new books coming out or new new projects? I am in the pr- in the process of
1: writing the energy code for women um, that will go go along with the the, the, the course that I'm running um, next week. Um, so it's coming. It's just very It's coming. But um, yes, that's where I'm,
0: I'm heading at the moment. What is the course that you're doing? Is that the, the what I uh, I signed up for something actually after yes. I took my quiz? Is that it?
1: Yes. So I'm doing the Energy Code Experience, which is it will become a course moving forward, a paid for course. But I felt at the moment that people just needed to understand their Energy Code. So this would be a five-three day um, kind of mini course, just to uh, bed people into what it means to understand and work with their Energy Code. Um, so, uh, yeah, I can point them in the direction if they reach out to me. I can point them in there. Or alternatively, if they take the Energy Code quiz, there is a link there that they they can register to join us for that as well.
0: So perfect. So everybody, go to energycodeforwomen.com, take the quiz. It's eight questions. It'll take you about a minute. Um, get the get the report just. <laughs> Just to let you know, I'm actually in the whisper space. Which is <laughs> kind of cool because I've I've grown out of the nurture nurture spot and the whisper space for me just sounded lovely. I'm glad to be there now. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for sharing your, your brilliance and your stories and thank you for the opportunity that I had to be in the Pay It Forward series notes to my younger self, volume one. It's available on Amazon as along with my book, The Woman Behind the Smile. And it, it was just, it's fun. It's a fun experience, and it was, meant so much to me and to the women that I've passed the books on to. Uh, so thank you for, for doing what you've done. Oh, no, Thank you for inviting me. It's much, much appreciated. Well, we're going to move on, and I want to thank everybody for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. If you or any one of you has been victim to fraud or scam, report it to anyscam.com or ic3.gov here in the United States. In the UK, we want you to go to action fraud. Look at Google action fraud. Remember to visit my website, thewomenbehindthesmile.com, and join my Facebook group, Stand Up and Speak Up, for special information and replays. This episode has been sponsored by benfocomplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or any of you know or struggle with the pins and needles or numbness in your hands and feet, check out our Benfo products at benfocomplete.com and use the special code STANDUP for a 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thank you so much, Kazia. Thank you, Dr. Tim and everybody for being here with us today. What a great day. And we are ready to leave our past behind us and to move forward with positive energy. Kazia... Go hit the UK with great love and energy and my hugs to you and Deb and Sammy and all the girls over there. Thank you again so much for being our guest and have a wonderful day, everybody. Thank you.